judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, your flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we need your help. I need your help. As we come to this passage, it's, uh, it's long. God, there's a lot in there. Judgment of hope. Help us understand. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, uh, our hearts, our minds, to what you have to say to us in your word. You've spoken your word to us. Help us to obey it, apply it to our lives as we understand. And because we've spent time in your word, that on the other side of this morning, we would be more like you, Jesus. This is, uh, this is about you. This is for you. Don't let me make it about me. Increase here, Jesus. May I decrease. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Jerusalem had a problem here. Jerusalem had a lacking of godliness. They lacked godliness. And it was, it was a glaring absence in the city. Well, Pastor, why would it be any more glaring than the other city? Well, let me tell you, thanks for asking. The very city, the very city where the nation had gathered to worship the Lord in his temple was now rampant with idolatry, with injustice and other ungodliness. And Micah sees the wickedness of the people and he's grieved. Have you ever looked around as a, as a follower of Christ? Have you ever just sat and looked around and maybe you saw something on the news, which it's a great place to see bad things. Uh, but but you, you, maybe you saw something or you heard somebody, somebody was murdered or somebody uh, was cheating on their spouse or something. You know, all this stuff was happening or a church was torn apart by division or whatever. 
And you just thought, you just became so sad, like mourning over it. Um, I've been there. And I'm not going to equate myself with Micah, okay? Um, but I've been there where I've just been like, I hate sin. And yeah, I still do it, but I hate sin because I see the results of it and what it does. And Micah looked around, and he saw the rampant wickedness, and he was grieved by it. Further, he, he sees the wickedness of the leaders and the depths of how far they had fallen. He's sorrowful about that. It's not just the people, it's the leaders. The very people who should have been leading the people towards godliness were wicked, and he was disheartened. The leaders' wicked choices were causing a spiritual breakdown of society. And in the first six verses here, we see Micah give word to this in a, in a lament. A lament, a, a, a word of, of lamentation, of grief, right? And he's lamenting over the condition of the people. So he looked out at the people who had been through Abraham, covenanted with God to be God's people, to serve the Lord, and he would care for them and provide for them. And Micah looked out and he saw no evidence that the people had responded to God's blessing and covenant with obedience. He saw no faithfulness to the Lord in the society at large. He compares himself. Look, he compares himself. This, this got me once I kind of understood the weight of this. But he, uh, he compared himself to a hungry person who has gone to the field after it had been harvested. Now, I need to give you some context to that so you understand the weight of what is meant there. In the law of Israel, okay, in their law, they were not allowed to go back into the harvested field a second time to pick it clean. So they would go in and... and harvest the fields, and that was their one time. And then, of course, there's some stuff left over, but they were not allowed to go back. They were not supposed to go back in a second time. They were supposed to leave what was left over for the poor. And then the poor could freely come and take what was left over. So Micah here compares himself, though, to someone who shows up famished, hungry, shows up to get the leftover fruits, had been left behind after the field had been harvested, and he's devastated when he gets to the field and sees there's nothing left. And he's left longing for sustenance. Do you guys, you guys get that? Micah compares, looking around at the city where people were to be worshiping the Lord God, and he compares the wickedness to showing up like a poor, hungry person to get that which was supposed to be left over and finding nothing, no fruit left. And he looked around. He didn't see the fruit of obedience. He didn't see the fruit of repentance. He saw the fruit uh, of, of sin, of wickedness, right? Rotten fruit. Verse 2 tells us that there is no one upright there. But yet Micah was yearning for the fruit of righteousness and he saw none. And that lack of godliness that he saw left him bitterly mournful. We see this in the prophets that they're, they're brokenhearted over what is going on. These are their people. And he says in verse 1, Woe is me. Woe is me. Now, this is translated from a Hebrew expression, 
And the Hebrew expression that's used here is the exact same Hebrew expression that is found in the Hebrew of Job, chapter 10, verse 15. And that says, if I am guilty, woe to me. So they, woe is me, woe to me, but it's translated from the same expression. So it says, if I am guilty, woe to me. If I am in the right, I cannot lift my head, for I am filled with disgrace. And look on my affliction. Now, you're like, okay, so same phrase. What's your point? Well, my point is this. For Job, this was a cry of agony. He was in agony and utter uh, just, just pain for what he had suffered. But for Micah, it's a cry of despair over the spiritual state of the city. Jerusalem. Micah saw the bloodshed, the evil. He saw the bribes that officials would take, the wicked plots, deceptions, the crisis, the panic, homes and families that were destroyed. No man could trust a friend or even his own wife. Talks about the woman who lays in your arms. Kids dishonored their parents and rebelled against them. Family members became enemies. The men of your own house would be your enemy. And I read that, and I looked at, and I was reading through commentaries that talked about this. I looked through that list of everything that he was seeing, and I was like, that sounds way too familiar to me. That sounds way too familiar to our current situation in our society, doesn't it? And I want to point out that through that list, as we went into it, you know, we got from kind of people out here, and then it got closer and closer and into the family. The first manifestation of their decline was in their personal relationships. First Kings 19.10 says this, He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. That's, that's it. We hear a desperation cry, right? We hear a desperation cry even, even in um, some of the prophets. In Psalm 14.3, we see that echo of that. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Yep. Okay, Pastor Cal, we get it. They were bad. Okay, I get it. But we need to understand this. Because we need to feel the weight. We need to feel the gravity of it. Micah's lament shows the heart of God broken over the rebellion of his people. Micah's lament here, we read through those first six verses, it shows that God's heart is broken over the rebellion of his people. And Jesus quoted part of this in Matthew. He quotes verse 6 of Micah 7. Years later, Matthew chapter 10, 35 through 36. When Jesus is talking and he says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. 
We see the connection there. We see that those, again, who follow God, I mean, we could look at that and we could be like, those who follow God, they're, number one, they're going to be, we're going to be grieved over the wickedness around us, but there's also going to be this, um, this division, this, this, uh, uh, the people who are following God will find enemies even in their own families sometimes. And Jesus, <laughs> I mean, Jesus connecting with that, because some people are like, well, yeah, that was, you know, the Old Testament, whatever, and, and this is all about love and peace and everything. And yes, love and peace, absolutely. But we also have these promises from Jesus saying, hey, here's, here's what's going to happen when you follow me. These are things that are going to happen. But then we get to verse 7. Then we get to verse 7, and, and what we have in verse 7, seven excuse me, is a demonstration of Micah's intimacy with God. See, a lot of times I think we think of the prophets and we think of these guys standing you know, out in a field or standing up on a rock and proclaiming this judgment and destruction and all this. And what I think we don't get sometimes is this, this sense, I don't know if it's just because we skip over it or because we try to make it to... Um, High church, I don't know. I don't know what we do with it. Um, but sometimes I feel like we miss the sense of the prophet's intimacy with God. Micah cries out to God to transform the nation. He cries out to God to transform the nation. And we see his closeness, his intimacy with God in verse 7. Pardon my voice, too much cheering yesterday, I guess. Micah also shows us how difficult and painful it can be for preachers of God's word. The servant of God must persevere through trials and suffering. And so we, we see that, right? We see that. I'm not, again, not equating myself with the prophets. So don't hear that. But hear that we see that through Micah, we see this, this, this sort of example of how painful, how much grief it can be for those who are delivering the word of God to the people and then seeing the people walk completely away and against that. They may, that may not mean anything to any of you except me, but it means a lot to me. So we get through this. Micah cries out to God. We see his intimacy with God. And then we come to kind of the second main thing as we're walking through this, trying to get to those answers of how should we as Christians respond to all this and that is that Israel will one day be restored. Israel one day will be restored. Micah looked past the current ungodliness. He, uh, he was looking past all of the destruction, the future defeat around him that was coming, that he was proclaiming, that he was prophesying. And he looked ahead to a future day when God would restore Israel. A day was coming when God's Messiah would reign supreme from Jerusalem and all would be set right. And the further we get into human history and the longer I'm alive, the more I look forward to the day when all is made new, when all is set right, when the world is put as it should be. But there would be a faithful remnant. There would be a faithful remnant of those who were true to the Lord and true to the covenant. A repentant people would rise up again, verses 8 and 9. Enemies will be defeated. 
Israel will be rebuilt. Exiles will be gathered. A new exodus would take place. But because of the promise of God to Abraham, the covenant with Abraham all those years ago, God would forgive those who did not deserve his mercy. Say, well, that has to do with Jesus. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. God will always keep his promises through his covenant with Abraham, with David, he and and through the promises that are ours in Christ Jesus. God will always keep his promises. In verses 8 through 10, Micah declared his faith and hope. He declares his hope. And then in verses 11, excuse me, yeah, 11 through 13, we find that Judah will be rebuilt as well, that that the lands will be made a wasteland because of the deeds of their inhabitants. But Judah would be rebuilt. We find that God will restore Israel. And then third, we find that the Lord is a good and faithful shepherd. The Lord is a good and faithful shepherd. Among all the ungodliness around him, Micah saw past it to the hope that is based on the unchanging character of God. See, Micah had this intimacy with God, and Micah knew God's character. And his hope was spurned on because his hope was put in God's unchanging character. Not in what somebody thought, but in what was revealed in God's character, his holiness, his justness, his justice, his mercy, his loving kindness, his righteousness, his love. So why should we trust in the unchanging character of God? We should trust in the unchanging character of God because he is unchanging. You can trust that the same faithful God of the Scriptures is the same God who meets you right where you are. We can trust Him because God cannot lie. He's holy and just and pure, and He cannot lie. And He tells us that in the Word that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died on the cross in our place for our sin. And if we trust in him, we repent of our sin and believe that message of the good news that Jesus died for our sin and that God raised him from the grave three days later, that he is Lord, we repent of our sin and believe the good news that we will have life, that he will forgive us for our sins, that he will give us the righteousness of God, that Jesus' very right standing before God would be put on our account. We have that promise that we will spend eternity with him in heaven We have that promise that he will still be around. We have that promise that we'll have life eternal, is what I'm saying. And we can put our hope in that. Because God always keeps his promises. God always, always comes through. Not the way we expect him to. Not the way we think we want him to often, but God always comes through in a way that is consistent with his character and in concert with his word. 
See, only God can solve the real problem of man. Micah knew that. Only God could solve the real problem of man, which is sin. And Micah describes the character and forgiveness of God. Verses 14 through 17 actually contain covenant language. And those who are in covenant, uh, in a covenant relationship with God, can rest in Him. They can rest in those promises. They can rest in the truth of the gospel. Verses 14 through 17. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Man is intended to look upward to get his identity. God's intent is not that we would gain our identity from being a member of some nation or country or tribe or group that we would gain our identity from him. Our identity is to come from God. Psalm 8, 5 through 7 says this, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. We should get our identity from the one who created us. That's all. I mean, I could do a whole other message on that. That, that the, the, the grand designer, the one who created you, is the one who has the right to give you like what your purpose is, right? Has the, uh, to give you what your identity is, that you find your identity in him, right? I used to do this, this thing with uh, my teenagers when I was a youth pastor where I would bring in a bunch of junk. And I would say, okay, build something, make something, make an invention, and have them make an invention. And, you know, it was like a doorknob and a rusty keychain and this and that. And this. And they would make something. and say, okay, what's the purpose of it? What does it do? And they would have come up with something, right? Now, if I would have tried to come up with that, I, I wouldn't have been able to because I didn't create that thing. The one who created it gave it its identity. Knew what it was for. If that inanimate object could be alive, we could say, What's your identity? They would say, well, I got made by these people. And that's where they found their identity. Now that illustration might break down at some point down the line if you followed it far enough. But we're supposed to find our identity in God, in Christ, as followers of Christ. Micah shows us three particular things that result in hope in our lives. Three things that result in hope in our lives. Number one, Micah's hope was a result of keeping his eyes on the Lord. Micah kept his eyes on the Lord. The outcome of that, the result of that, the, the, the answer on the other side was hope. Was hope. He kept his eyes on the Lord and hope was the result. Number two, Micah's hope was a result of trusting in God's promise of provision. Micah trusted God's promise of provision. He trusted that God would provide for Israel. 
that he would rescue them eventually, that there was, yes, there was judgment coming, but there would be a faithful remnant, and God would keep his promise to that faithful remnant, and he would provide for them, and he would take care of them, even though painful stuff was coming. And because Micah trusted in God's promise of provision, the other side was he had hope. Third, Micah's hope was a result of knowing that God hears our prayers. If you don't think God hears your prayers, you don't pray a prayer like Micah prayed. Micah knew that God heard his prayer, would hear his prayer, and the result of that was hope. That God would hear his prayer. He had hope because he believed it to be true. So I asked this question at the very beginning of the message. How, how does the Christian respond to this? How does the Christian respond to the rampant wickedness around us? How do we respond to what Micah has said here? Well, I think there's some questions that we have to ask. There's some things we have to look at. But the first one is I think about that illustration that Micah used, that simile, right, of uh, going to the field after it had been gleaned. There's nothing left. And he goes away, sees no fruit, and goes away, still lacking sustenance. So the question is, after the gospel has been proclaimed to us and God has invested that truth of the gospel in us, we have to ask, is there fruit in our lives from it? Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So after God has invested the gospel in us, Do we see that fruit of righteousness? It only comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So when we look around at the wickedness around us, and we go to the fields, we don't see the fruit, I think we first need to start and look at our lives and say, is there fruit there? Am I bearing fruit in keeping with repentance? David Aikman and and Richard uh, D. Phillips recount the story of how these words from Micah in the memory uh, of a man achieved the gospel restoration of a man named, and I'm going to butcher this name, but I I even wrote down like how to pronounce it, but uh, his name is uh, Wang Mingdao in China. I should have just named him Pete, but it's Wang Mingdao of China. So as they recount the story, Wang Mingdao was one of the early leaders of the house church movement in China. And in the 1920s and 30s, uh, Wang was one of uh, Beijing's leading preachers, addressing huge crowds until the Japanese invasion in 1937. Despite his refusal to cooperate with the occupiers, Wang avoided arrest. But after the war, he soon ran afoul of the Chinese communist authorities. He refused to join the three self-patriotic movement, the government-sponsored Protestant church, which Wang thought to be compromised. For this, he and his wife were arrested in 1955. In his prison, the communists inserted cellmates who terrified Wang with tales of torture, isolated and weakened, 
Wang broke. He promised to sign any statement and to preach any message he was told to preach, so the communists released him and his wife from prison. After his release, Wang was a spiritually broken man. He willingly attended meetings at which his confession was read and his support of the state church proclaimed. Disgusted with himself, he wandered the streets of Beijing muttering, I am Peter, I am Peter, referring to the apostles' denial of Christ. But when suddenly Wang regained his boldness for Christ, excuse me, but then suddenly Wang regained his bold, old boldness for Christ, he again refused to cooperate and preached a true faith in Jesus. He explained the change by stating that he recalled Micah chapter 7, verses 7 through 9, in which the prophet warns his enemies not to gloat. He saw his sufferings as God's chastisement for his sins and committed himself to wait for the God of his salvation. He reminded himself and others, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Again, he's remembering those words from the prophet Micah. Desiring only to glorify his gracious God, Wang published a written withdrawal of all his confessions and agreements. He was arrested again and imprisoned for another 22 years, during which he provided a strong example that emboldened many other persecuted Christians. See, Wang Mingnao had imbibed not merely the words of Micah, but also the prophet's faith and spirit. He will bring me out to the light, Micah declares. I shall look upon his vindication. God's honor was bound up in his salvation. Micah knew and he fully trusted that God will fulfill his promises and publicly demonstrate his faithfulness to those who called on his name. And we learn a lot from the story of Wang Mingdao that he, as he regained his old boldness for Christ and renounced his statement, we look at our own lives and where we are. And we all have a history, right? No matter how long you've been following Christ, you had a history before Christ, you had a history of following Christ after you followed Christ, right? And our future is much brighter than our past. So what's the response of the Christian to wickedness around us? You know, do we jump in and take part? Because, well, we got grace. Or do we, uh, do we refuse? Do we sit and cry? What is the response of a Christian? Well, our response is this. Trust and obey. Wait on the Lord. As Micah said, wait on the Lord. That's hard sometimes. But trust and obey. As I was, think, as I was coming, writing this, I thought of that old hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but trust and obey. The response of the Christian is to trust the Lord's promises. Trust Jesus and obey his word. To repent of sin and believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus. That restoration is coming for us. For us. Cry out to the Lord for restoration. Find our hope only in Him. Look to His return with expectancy because remember, Micah is telling them hey, one day Messiah is going to reign in Jerusalem. He's going to restore all of this. 
All things are going to be set right. Enemies are going to be defeated one day. Remember the prophets, they, you know, they weren't always clear on first coming of Christ, second coming of Christ. But we should look to his return with expectancy. That when we look around and we see the wickedness, we see everything going on around us, that should increase our urgency to spread the gospel to those around us and around the world for that matter. But like Micah, I'm going to give you, and this is what I'm going to end with, so if the musicians want to start making their way to the, to the stage. Um, like Micah, my challenge to you is this. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And hope will be the result. When you start to get hopeless, when I start to get hopeless, when I start to get uh, in despair, I often find it's because I took my eyes off the Lord. When I took my eyes off the Lord and his promises, his word, keep your eyes on the Lord and hope will be the result. Number two, trust in the promise of God's provision and hope will be the result. Trust in the Lord's promise of provision and hope will be the result. Oftentimes, when we begin to lose hope, we realize we've stopped trusting that God's actually going to do what God promised. And number three, know that God hears the prayers of his people and hope will be the result. When God's people cry out to him in sorrow and repentance, I mean, the word tells us that God is near to the brokenhearted. And when we cry out to God, he hears us. That doesn't mean we always get the answer we want, okay? Uh, I don't want to give you some kind of false hope that, that anything you ask of God, you're going to get. Because um, that wouldn't do you any, that wouldn't be doing you any favor for me to tell you that. But know and trust that God hears the prayers of his people. Even when you don't feel like, even when you feel like the prayers are just hitting the ceiling and bouncing back at you. Know that God hears the prayers of his people. In it, grain in it, live in it, soak in it, marinate in it. And hope will be the result because we serve, as I started out with, a living God. Every other religious figure in the world is bones in a grave. Our God is alive. And he sits at the right hand of God, the Father, and he waits for that day when he will return. So my encouragement to you this morning is wait on the Lord, trust in his promises, and hope will be the result. Will you stand up with me, please? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not dumb enough to think that everybody came in here perfect this morning or that your week went exactly the way you wanted it to go or that there was no conflict in your life this week, okay? Um, some of you had better weeks than others, I'm sure. Um, I just wanted to to encourage you. Uh, God's not done with you yet because you're still here. And if you weren't, we can have a, you know, I had a friend that said, uh, I'm invincible until God's done with me. And once God's done with me, I don't want to be here anymore anyway. So, you know, that was the way he, he looked at it. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. I might have to borrow that one. So, 
I want to encourage you that God's not done with you. And uh, you've still got breath. You've still got time to trust in the Lord, to wait on the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for um, this church, uh, for your followers who've come and gathered to, to serve you, to worship you together in unity as the body of Christ. God, I pray you'd help us to wait on you. Um, and we look around, we see all the stuff going on in our world, in our nation. We see stuff going on in our personal lives, in our families' lives. We see all the things that were listed and more. Uh, you know, we see lust and we see idolatry and we see bribing and we see corruption and we see injustice and wickedness all around us. Help us to trust in you. Help us to remain faithful to you by your strength. And may the good news of the gospel of Jesus, crucified on our behalf, risen and alive and soon to return, be always on our minds and our lips. And may the hope that we have spread to those around us as we share the gospel with them, Jesus. Build your kingdom here. It's in Jesus' name we pray.